0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I spend a little bit of time talking about comics and a whole lot of time talking about nearly everything surrounding comics with discussions about the Ant-Man movie, Interstellar, Matthew McConaughey, first issue of Strange Fruit by J.G. Jones and Mark Wade. the first issue of Power Up, the first two volumes of My Love Story by Kazoon Kawahara and Aruko, and any number of things for which we have any number of feels. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening.
1: Jeff Lester!
0: Graham McMillan, holy cow. Jeff! Mm-hmm. Jeff
1: Lester! Jeff! Jeff Lester! <laughs> I feel like that should be turn into a real chance. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of scary. Lester. It's... Jeff, 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 Lester. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Lester! Jeff Lester! Jeff, Jeff Lester! Jeff <laughs> Lester!
0: Totally has a terrifying soundboard feel to it. So, which let's face it, we really, considering all the hundreds of hours of uh, podcasting, yeah, but done, that's
1: why we'll never do it. We've done so much. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, remember we did this and we thought it was funny. Can you remember what episode that's in? No, I,
0: I can't. I can't actually remember anything we've ever talked about, Graham. It really is. It's one of those classic <laughs> things where it's each like,
1: episode is a voyage
0: of discovery for us. It Jeff, kind of is. It kind of is. It's like, ah, uh, you know, I'm sort of like, uh, re- like the, the concept of rehashing some bits by this point seems, by its very nature, almost impossible. Other than just, <laughs> just I know how we open, I know how we close, everything in between. It, it's still exactly. It
1: opens with Jeff Heiter, it closes with bye Exactly. <laughs> Everything else in between, yeah, it's up for grabs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is podcasting on the edge,
0: people. That's right. Now you know why Graham McMillan is the power player of our podcast because he opens and closes and remembers how like, to do the it. Because opening
1: and closing bits. That's right. Oh, uh, we should
0: we should change that up. That's I, maybe I don't know. I always get it wrong. Like, you like, pointed out I, on Baxter building. You can't even get me to say my own name on on cue. So.
1: But, Jeff, if you think about it, you actually do start because you do the talkie bit at the introduction,
0: oh, yeah, you know that's true. That's pre-recorded and it's really sad. Listeners for those who have always wondered, like how many times does Jeff Lester record that opening? It's like at least three every time i and and do I wing it? No, I have to write it down, otherwise do I forget, be- oh yeah, it's bad. It's bad like
1: uh, like word for word. Uh yeah, it's not like you just make notes and you're like okay. So we talked about blah 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 blah. No blah, no blah, no, blah, no
0: no no no. Yeah, because then I just get confused. I get confused to to in in order to make this, it sound. All this moot.
1: episode you should wing it. Oh yeah, sure, sure. No no really. This episode you should wing it. Just make notes about what we talk about and then wing it and see if anyone can tell the difference.
0: Okay sure. I'll, I'll do I'll do that, Graham. Oh my god, I'm just <laughs> setting myself up for. Just,
1: I feel like this should have been one of those moments where like we were at like the office or something. Uh-huh. We'd I do that, and it cuts to a standalone interview of you, and you're like, I'm not going to do that. Exactly,
0: I'll <laughs> never do that. Graham literally has no idea. And then of course they would cut to, to my various outtakes, which are
1: like, hi, me and Left just, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Did you see, um the Muppets pilot presentation is on YouTube? No, I didn't see that. So you know that they're making a new Muppets TV show? Yes. Um, and the, they previously released the trailer and the trailer's made up of like three minutes from the pilot presentation, which is 10 minutes. And they put the whole pilot presentation on YouTube. Uh-huh. And it has that joke in it. Oh, it has really? a joke where they're like, where someone goes, let's shoot it like the office, where, uh, you know, where we can cut away and do individual interviews. And it then cuts to Gonzo being like, that's such a hacky thing to do. It's a terrible idea. You always have the interviews and they say something contradictory and then it cuts back to what's happening and they say something else. And then it cuts back to him being like, that's a great idea. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Met
1: for twice. Good stuff. Good stuff, I tell you.
0: Um, so, yes, Graham McMillan, my goodness. Uh, we should talk about things and stuff related to the world of comics and nerd-like
1: entertainment. We should. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, that's why I'm going to ask you, Jeff. You just told me you seen that, man. Should I come see it? You know, Graham, here's the thing. Uh, you should. You actually
0: should. It is... Um, at the worst, surprisingly cromulent, it, it, it holds together. No, oh, no, no. That's no, no. not good that, That's at its worst though. Actually, okay. honestly, I, uh, I walked out of it. We, we ended up catching like a screening on a really early Sunday morning with a surprisingly full house and, um, and how do I put it? I think it's really solid. It doesn't do anything new, but one of the things that's remarkable in terms of, you know, as anyone who knows about the project, how much pivoting, um, Marvel has done with the project, that it actually feels relatively coherent and cohesive. Uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 I mean, I think the thing is, is that, um, it's not as, Earthshaking, Earthshaking, um, it, it, it clearly doesn't, it falls under the sort of post-Guardians, um, rubric much better than you would think. It's, it's a surprisingly enjoyably funny, uh, uh, movie, uh, in part, you know, Paul Rudd is really good, but as I think you probably know, if you've been following, um, uh, what people have been talking about it on Twitter, um, Michael Pena, who plays one of uh, Paul Rudd's, one of Scott Lang's cohorts, is awesome. He's hilarious. He yeah, steals-
1: I, I, he, he's he been the, hey, this guy's, what I've seen basically is people saying, he's great, mm-hmm. why isn't Evangeline Lilly, like Evangeline Lilly's plot, subplot, is utterly self defeating, and so it's best not to think about it too much. Mm. Um, and other than that, I've just seen people complain. Like I've seen the backlash to the backlash without without seeing the backlash itself. That's what I've seen.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Well, I you know th- so there's a
0: few things. Would basically Marvel has a really great eye for talent, and it really the the movie is very well stocked with a lot of talented. People, in fact, Evangeline Lilly is is I think pretty good in the movie. I know what you mean in terms of her. I mean, it's one of those weird things. Like I don't know, walking out of Ant Man and being like, I enjoyed it, and honestly, it was totally. Um, I would say the vast majority of it really worked for me. I say that with this weird rubric asterisk of I. I'm not really sure how I watch movies anymore, you know what I mean? because
1: <laughs> Marvel has destroyed the way I watch movies. yeah,
0: there you go. that would be my my head spinner.
1: no I, I think just for
0: for I think I think for everyone, you know I think I think all of us have, if nothing else, anybody who sits and watches like Entertainment Weekly on TV you know, is so used to getting any number of inside scoops and official spins and things. So when you're sitting watching the film, I was like, I walked out and it's kind of like that classic, like, oh, it wasn't a mess, which sounds like, high praise. I mean for here's a classic example. I actually read a piece of yours about Ant-Man before I walked into the day before I saw the movie where you were talking about how it suffers from a generic bad guy and actually I thought Corey Stoll as Darren Cross a really acted the shit out of his role and B interestingly enough I felt like whoever reconfigured the script worked their asses off to try and give him and Michael Douglas away
1: from, I am a white businessman. Yeah. I'm a genius. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I am evil for the sake of being evil.
0: He's, and he's really, he's really not there. There are so many scenes in that movie where, I mean, on the one hand, you could say that they don't, they don't work especially hard because it's very much Corey stole. Darren Cross is Hank was Hank Pym's old assistant who Hank Pym basically cut loose And tried to, like, treated him like a son and then realized that there was something wrong with the dude and distanced himself dramatically from it. So the first half of the movie really kind of has a bit of a character pas de trois between Michael Douglas, Evangeline Lilly, who is, you know, his daughter and, um, you know, completely... uh, on shitty terms with him. And then Darren Cross, who is his protege, who's also, he's also on shitty terms with, and then therefore he and Evangeline Lilly have that to bond over. So the scenes where the two of them are kind of like in a restaurant or something, and Cross basically just can't help bringing up Hank Pym and saying like, uh, he's basically like, he's the worst. He treated me terribly. He treated you terribly. He's a terrible father and a terrible human. And, and the movie goes a long way on that. In fact, there's kind of a way in which, um, it made me think of some of the, the, uh, like the, like the, you come across the occasional noir movie where it's like the drifter comes into a situation where there's like the rich dad and the noir female and the resentful, you know, manipulative crook type guy. And it, it, it basically takes that structure and works okay with it, and it actually sort of frees up uh, Paul Rudd as Scott Lang to basically learn his Ant Man stuff, and giving him Evangeline Lilly as his trainer, but his trainer who resents him. Like all all the scenes had enough juice. It actually uh, up until like I don't know the last ten minutes or so, it felt it was it was like I can really pretend that I'm watching a real movie. You know what
1: <laughs> I mean? What? But what's really funny is, like, you're describing that, and all of that sounds amazingly cliché to me. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. Like, I... like none of that sounds... And It's a Marvel movie. I should not expect any novelty from a Marvel movie at this point. Well, I just think that I... It sounds like, sure, that'll be completely enjoyable if utterly... I don't know. Devoid of any newness. Well, but okay, but well,
0: true. I mean, but I mean, that's, I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know how to really, I mean, I think that might be part of my, my, my kind of hand wringing because I think some, there's, there's times where you go to the movies and it's very enjoyable to see something, something that feels like the old traditional template and what's infused with it are, the performances or the fact that you have a bunch of, you know, giant, you know, ants parading around in it or whatever, you know, I mean. That's
1: all you need, Jeff. You just need the giant
0: ants. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, so I just, I don't think, I don't think for myself, like, I see your point, but I'm kind of like, like who, who expects original stories from the big summer movies anyway?
1: but that, that's what I'm saying.
0: Well, no, but how, how do I put it? By the way of you refracting to, it specifically through a Marvel movie, you kind of make it sound a little more sour grapesy than I think you intended.
1: Hello? Sure. Okay. I No, I can totally see your point. Yeah.
0: So I, uh, I, I, I just although, wanted that framework.
1: Is, uh, am I more sour grapes than I intend? I don't know. I might – no, I might actually mean it the way it came across. Which is – Because I think I – I think I would be more likely to expect something more original of a Planet of the Apes movie or a Mission Impossible movie or a like even a Star Trek movie. See where then is I leave a Marvel movie. Uh, like Marvels up there with like Star Wars for me. Mhm. Where they know what their bread and butter is and they're going to stick to that.
0: Well, I got bad news for you as someone who's seen some Mission Impossible movies and a Star Trek movie. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, no offense, but I, I am know, I, really I, serious. I, I don't, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I I, I don't know. Maybe it's Sargrips. I don't know. We'll see.
0: You know, it may not be Sargrips. If you honestly feel that way, then that, that, that I think that is how you feel. But yeah, like, but, that I, might,
1: but that might be like, like utterly unfair, I guess is what I'm saying. Like uh, I, I, I right. might be projecting that because you know Marvel has settled clearly settled into their formula, right? Because uh, they're what twelve movies in now.
2: Yeah, they're twelve. Am movies I making in, that
1: yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That well, no, um, about right. And whereas, like, even the Star Treks, like they've only done two since the reboot, or the the, the ape things, they've only done two, three. They've they've only uh, done my, two, yeah, exactly. Two. So so they, they, I making right. another Planet movie. There's only been two. Yeah, there's only been um, two, but they're making the, the other. I don't know. There's there's the possibility of more novelty, which is really funny because I lump Star Wars in with with Marvel, mm-hmm. and Star Wars, like the new one since the reboot, hasn't even come out yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm just I'm expecting absolutely nothing original from it, which is not to say I don't think I'll enjoy it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just that. I'm I'm going into it fully expecting it to be in Mm-hmm.
2: hmm
1: You know? Right. It's I don't know. It's it's who knows? Who knows, Jeff? Um but it's it's Ant Man is I'm finding myself very not bored, but just not particularly interested in seeing Ant Man.
2: hmm hmm Well, you
1: know, it's I- like, like Here's the thing. I'll probably wait until it comes around to the second-run theaters. Sure. Like, you know what I did this weekend? I went to see Tomorrowland because it was four bucks and it was cold (laughs) inside the movie theater and it was 100 (laughs) degrees outside. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like, I think Ant-Man falls to that level of interest for me. Yeah.
0: Well, and I I think that when you do see it, I mean, honestly, my problems with Ant-Man had a lot more to do with... Uh, the, the Paul Rudd, Scott Lang's group of, okay, Scott Lang's backstory is a huge mess that as far as I can tell suffers from multiple drafts with multiple ideas. And so his backstory is almost incomprehensible. Um, and the fact that his, his gang, uh, his trio of buddies who help him out, when they start off in the beginning of the movie, it's kind of like, Oh, this is great. Here's people of color. They're going to show the Bay area as, you know, more of a kind of, um, as a, as, as a more ethnic mix. And this is going to be sort of like a richer, deeper movie. And then as it goes on a, it flattens out so that when they come back, cause they disappear for a long chunk. And when they come back, you're like, wow, that's right. I've been watching like, the last 60 minutes of mighty white
1: people, you know, it's like white, white on white action. And then, sure, on... but again, like that's not amazingly surprising considering Marvel.
0: No, but I guess what's surprising is, is that the first 20 minutes... is that it's,
1: it's, it starts off differently and then it, it yeah. floods out.
0: Well, it, it starts off differently. But the other thing that is problematic is, is that because the, you have, you know, the, the the uh, Latino guy, the African American guy, and the Eastern European guy being the inept comic relief in the beginning when when Paul Rudd himself is presented as alternately inept and super apt, I guess, depending on what he's doing, by the time the movie comes back and the stakes are on and these guys come in, um The fact that they are so bumbling actually comes across as, again, there's that thing of like, oh, God, I did like they really were just sort of the side garnish that disappeared. And then when they bring them back for the end, because they're inept, you're like, this is this feels, unfortunately, much more racially loaded than I think they intended it, you know, because because. Uh, you have so much goodwill for Michael Pena and it seems very clear that the filmmakers are aware that it's like, oh, he's he's great. We've got to have him in there and also doing this, which is great. But by the time you bring it in, it's like having a trio of ethnic guys like stumble around with like comical mishaps and like hitting the water. Exactly. I, after after you spend off. the
1: rest of the film being like, look at these super competent white guys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Then it, when you're
1: like, here's the comic relief. It you have this extra dimension of yeah. Wait. Yeah. Did no one realize that all the Compton people are the white guys?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah. it's really, really that that part is, to me, far
0: more problematic. That being said, there is literally a little for for me, and I don't fall into fan service in here. There is a subplot, aka, like, how do we puff the movie out to? A full two hours or whatever there is a subplot that is basically a mini marvel team up uh with issue the falcon, right? right in the middle yeah with the falcon, which was entirely enjoyable entirely enjoyable and he of course is presented as a super badass and completely you know uh also again super competent and you know to to the point of the everyone being like oh shit we can't we can't fight this guy get out of there get out of there so Um, so a lot, it's, I don't know, it's one of those weird things where, again, you could say that it's Marvel, but I also feel that this is this, this weird transition that Hollywood is in, I guess, of Hollywood itself has, you know, franchises are safe bets, they want formulas, they're aware that they need people of color in it, but they're also very... But that's that's such a like – I don't know what to, what to put it. It's it's so – it's tokenism basically is what it is even as they dress them up and, and you know, make them ultra competent, which in this case is sort well, of it's, iffy.
1: It's kind of – you. there's ways around that. Yeah. Sure. Uh, like Suicide Squad is a great example uh, because Suicide Squad is just – no, but you know what I mean? Suicide Squad is just like, okay, Deadshot, it's Will Smith, everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They're like there was, they, they have no problem with race bending.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. No, I, I, I suppose like, that's
1: Marvel, true. Marvel uh, structurally mm-hmm. would not do that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I think Marvel makes a much bigger thing about being faithful to the comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, it, uh, I'm not sure. Is Hollywood a point where it's beginning to recognize racial diversity? I think it's beginning to recognize gender diversity, but is it beginning to recognize racial diversity?
0: Well, it depends. It depends on what you mean by diversity, because I mean Hollywood is, for example, completely aware that that they need to have like, um, they need to be able to market it in in the big Asian countries. So it's very common for you to end up with. You know, a, an Asian co-star that seems semi superfluous on on our side. You know, yes. who may or may not end up with twenty or thirty minutes of extra footage. You know, for the Asian release. So yes. there's a there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of these movements toward. You know, I mean. The reason why some of these things become cliches is, like, you know, back in the 80s or 90s, they realized, like, hey, if we make the black – you know, if we put a black actor in the role of the angry police captain, you know, we get to show, like – You know, a black person in a position of power. Exactly.
1: It's a black guy in charge. Everything's fine, right? Right,
0: exactly. But he can also be the super hard ass who gives, you know, our beleaguered white hero the right time, you know, a hard time. So it it also plays well with our racist crowd. You know, it's kind of like a win-win. And I feel like they're, (laughs) they're still trying to figure out how to hit those sort of situations. I mean, honestly, I like Paul Rudd a lot. I thought he was very good in this movie, but it is very easy walking out being like, if Marvel had put Michael Pena in the role of Scott Lang, um, they it, it, that would have solved all the problems, and I think honestly people would have been losing their shit over this movie. As it is, it's very enjoyable. It plays well with a crowd. I have to say, the crowd that I saw it with, and this was a crowd who was dead silent through the what felt like two and a half hours of trailers before we watched the movies. Like seriously the 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 star wars force awakens which is the trailer that plays right before the movie is the last trailer was met with such a deafening silence that really? I was like, yeah, That's nobody. A, I
1: remember I told you that when I went to see Avengers Age of Ultron, like they were cheering that yeah. one.
0: Yeah. I mean, and who Like it's a fucking movie theater and you're like, they can't hear you, people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. And maybe it's just the fact that all these people saw that there. I remember going and seeing Age of Ultron and I'm like, there's no Star Wars trailer here. But, you know, after all the stuff that got thrown their way, honestly, the this crowd was so quiet except for maybe the goddamn uh, – Goosebumps movie, you know, where it was like, really? You're going to – Really? <laughs> there was I would not flights. have seen that coming. I wouldn't have either. And so I was very much like, okay, these people are just like – Man's going to be Yeah, this is a tough to road. Yeah, but honestly, the, it worked for everyone. Everyone walked out pretty high pretty high on it. So
1: It's well, – one of the things – when I said I saw the backlash to the backlash, mm-hmm. one of the things I kept seeing this weekend on social media were people being like, it's not that bad. Right. Which is, a, which is kind of hilarious. Well, you be- know? because
0: I think there is a little bit of the defensiveness in it. Because honestly, it's um, it's a superhero origin movie. Which means that there is a, like, no matter how much the template, you know, there no matter how well they do with the template, A, it's a template, and B, and it's the 11th version of the template. So even though I'm like, I think that Corey Stoll is like the best Marvel superhero bad guy sense, I don't know, Jeff Bridges and Iron Man or something like that, that really doesn't mean much. You know what I mean? Like, it's because we've seen so many iterations of it. They do some interesting things with it, but, you know, and I think there's also very much, it there may be a certain amount of embarrassment to have people walking out of a movie theater being like, yeah, I totally dug Ant-Man. I'm totally down with Ant-Man, you know. it's It does really, seem a little odd That would be kind
1: of sad. Like, it's... Everything surrounding Ant-Man has been so weird. Mm-hmm. Like, is, is there more, really more embarrassment to get, say, hey, I really like Ant-Man, than there is, like, Iron Man or Captain America? Because they're as, they're as dumb as each other. Uh, well, Aren't okay. They? Like, uh, am, am I wrong in that? Is Ant-Man somehow more dumb? Yeah. Like, so I, why? I,
0: I, Well, I would say that Ant-Man seems more dumb because I think... Iron Man and Captain America have the benefit of, if nothing else, being larger mainstays of the Marvel Universe. You have dudes who have totally been into them for much longer. So when those movies are announced or when those movies open, you've got dudes who can say, like, I was there, I was out and proud about it. And it's very easy, I think, to turn that around. I don't think you have a very vocal Ant-Man-type brigade who are like, yeah, absolutely, oh, I'm so down with... Ah, as a David Michellini fan, I'm so excited that Scott Lang's <laughs> getting his moment in the spotlight. Yes. but I Paul
1: Blayton think... worked for this.
0: Right, right. But there's also, I mean, one thing that I thought that they did very, that they did very, they were shrewd about after which must have been some testing is I'm sure you've seen in the trailers, there's a little bit of them making fun of Ant-Man, the Ant-Man name and like, Oh, it really?
1: Did people back in that? Because yeah, that was like those. the entire first trailer. Practically. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That, as far as I know that by and large is gone. They, they really make it seem like the, Ant- first off you, you have to posit a world where the Ant-Man concept when it's being developed by Hank Pym back in like 1986, 1987 is so amazingly groundbreaking that, that everyone is too terrified of Hank Pym to try and take his invention away from him when he walks away from using it with the government anymore. Yeah. 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 Everyone's like, they're like, well, we'll just take it from you. And they're like, you don't want to do that. He's the most dangerous man alive. And you're kind of, and they stick with that tone for the most part, kind of all the way through. The idea is, is that when there's self-deprecating jokes, it's very much about the idea of Scott Lang. It is not about the idea of being Ant-Man and they play. And I think that's, that's kind of a smart choice. They do stuff with the ants that I think is really, you know, I mean, the thing about screenplays, about movie screenplays is you have guys that even by what Marvel pays people are paid relatively well to sit and rethink a concept and figure out a way to make sure that it plays well cinematically for the most part. And it, it really did the stuff with the, the different ants. And of course there's going to be an ant that, that, you know, Ant-Man kind of bonds with, you know, it's all that stuff really works. But, but again, there's also an idea for me. I've always been, had trouble with superheroes where half the drama comes from the fact that their powers put them in danger. You know, the idea that Ant-Man is really small and therefore, you know, you can step on him suddenly seems like, well, maybe you could come up with a better power then. you know? And although they play him much more like the Atom in the sense of like his, you know, he's got the full size mass of, you know, of a 200 pound human being. So when he punches someone, you know, someone says it's like, it's like being hit by a bullet, you know, it's still, there's still a little bit of the, even in the great effect stuff where he like jumps up and he's running along the barrel of a gun. You're kind of like, I feel like you've made this unnecessarily hard on yourself. You know, it's just one of those mm. superpowers where it's like, but the other thing that is great is, is that in cinema, you can do those things it seems inherently cinematic in a way that gets very old very fast in a comic book, or or else when you get people who can no longer draw perspective, just doesn't seem to work at all anymore. Um, yeah, it was it was fine, but it but but I do think saying that you're a fan of Ant Man is a little bit more embarrassing, just because it doesn't fall into a more traditional fantasy of male empowerment, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm made of iron and I can beat down anything. Hey, I've got a shield and I'm the greatest warrior this country's ever. Exactly. Seen. I'm
1: America.
0: Exactly. I am America as opposed to I'm an ex-convict who's fucked up his life. And now I can shrink really small. You know, it's, it's a little bit, um, you know, it's a little bit more fallible. And, uh, although I think, it works really well in terms of the way that they crafted it. You know, it, it also, at the same time is, I think it is a little harder to walk out of there and be like, I'm super. And again, for me, my ambiguity, my ambiguity, my ambivalence is much more about the idea that I'm like, it's a good movie. As long as you don't necessarily think about what the words, a good movie means anymore. You know what I mean? Cause it's really like, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like it's just like I it's, feel like
1: you're trying to say that it was kind of shitty, but you enjoyed it. No, no, because I, I don't think it was actually that, that shitty. It's a, it's a that, better made what, movie. That what's that? What are you? What do you? What is your problem? I guess. I, like I don't understand your problem.
0: I'm what I'm saying is, is that because and, and again, it's okay. Well, let's flip this around, Graham. I tell you what, you told me before we started up that you had finally just seen Interstellar.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. So what I was going to say, because you haven't seen Interstellar, right? I have not. Interstellar, I remember as being a film that some people thought was a bit pretentious, but a lot of people absolutely loved. Right? So I went into it, like, it's Christopher Nolan. It's going to be very overblown, but, you know, it's going to be... Maybe not engaging, but at least entertaining, really? I thought provoking. Mm-hmm. What I did not realize was Interstellar is so badly written that I would laugh at it. <laughs> like, I got maybe 20 minutes in, and I started laughing, and I kept laughing until I finished the fucking film, Jeff. Wow. It is so appallingly written. Right. Not just on a dialogue level, but hey, the dialogue's terrible. But on a on a structural level...
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That I can't believe that people didn't laugh this film
2: out of the theater. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I am, I am like I want to go back and read the reviews and see how people can just accept some of the dumbest stuff that I've seen in a film. Right, right. Well, so I- interesting. This is where this is where like there was a moment where I stopped even being able to go. Okay, like suspension of disbelief. Matthew McConaughey's character. Is a scientist who a scientist and test pilot who has dropped out and become a farmer because hey the world's ending and everyone needs farmers and they don't need scientists anymore and they so don't need scientists that now school is teaching everyone that the moon landing was myth
2: because you
1: got to people dreaming Jeff you get it it's all about like farming that's what everyone should be like you know it's that heavy handed okay mm-hmm. so you're already laughing
2: okay?
1: mm-hmm. um. His daughter is a – she believes in science though, Jeff. She's a believer. Mm -hmm. And she's found out that something's going on in her bedroom and she thinks it's a ghost because the books fall out of her bookcase. And she's taking note of which books fall out because she thinks it's a code. And then there's a sandstorm and the sand comes in and the sand flies weirdly. And he realizes it is a code, but it's not Morse code like she thinks it is. It's binary. And then when he translates the binary, the binary turns out to be coordinates in a map. And then when he drives to where the coordinates are, it's a secret base where NASA is working undercover to have this this space mission that no one will believe in to go and find new plants for them to land on. Okay? Wow. Really? Yes. Oh, my God. All
0: right. Because I'm first like, all, seriously, that sounds like a really bad X-Files episode. Right? Right okay. there. Like, that so, seems I've unnecessarily. I've not, uh-huh. I've
1: not got to the best part yet.
0: But... Oh, I'm sure. So,
1: first of all, the, the coordinates that it's been giving out is a coincidence. Really? It Wait. just coincidentally has these coordinates. Because mm-hmm. NASA haven't been sending it out, right? Mm-hmm. So, all this stuff is happening, and it's gravity. That's what they say. They're like, it's gravity. Gravity is doing this. It led me here. And all the NASA people are like, how did you find it? And then, coincidentally, the person in charge of this mission is Matthew McConaughey's former boss. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm.
1: Who then goes, you're the best pilot in the world. You have to take this mission. Right. And so, within an hour, because they say it's an hour of him getting there, he goes from accidentally finding this... Through a series of events that are ludicrous, mm-hmm. to them going, you're the only person who can fly this mission that we've been working on for years and I've never told anyone about. You're the only one who can do it. You have to do it, or we're not going to do the mission. And by the way, you're so the only guy who can do this mission. We never once reached out to you about it before now. Okay, right.
0: Okay, all right. Okay,
1: okay. Yeah. And so he's like, "Sure, a flyer mission." It's nuts. Okay. So Graham, this is it's my thi- okay Shh. but this is my thing.
0: When I say when I when I wring my hands about what a good movie is, I, I I know good movies. You know what I mean? And there's a sliding scale, none more so than in the last ten years. Cause I mean, let's face it, that's not a Marvel movie, and that's clearly a gob of shit. And I mean it is a <laughs> gob of shit. That no, people it, it spent is. a lot of money on and, and invested ridiculous amounts in, you know, and I, I it's, so I'm just saying there's tr- ridiculous amounts of shit that are out there that we just sort of accept. It's sort of in the same way that when you sit on a roller coaster, which of course is the horribly hackneyed, cliched comparison, it's like, you're not going to complain at some point that it's like always on a track. You know what I mean? Like there's a little bit where it's like some are blockbuster movies, there are things that people expect. And God help me, this is I know this is as is supposedly Nolan's more cerebral type film. Yeah, exactly. This is
1: meant to be like the smart blockbuster. And this was literally the most ludicrously stupid movie I've seen in the longest time. Right. Because it's smart, quote unquote. Because it will have all this I mean, that's just the most bullshit premise in the world. But then they'll be like, but we talked to scientists and wormholes are real. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, here's the actual science of how we do this if we could do it. And you kind of want to be like, yes, yeah, but everything else in your film is bullshit.
0: Right. Right, right, right.
1: Well, by the fact that it I might just be me. Matthew McConaughey may be the worst actor in the world.
0: You know, I, I'm so impressed with Matthew McConaughey because I really do. Like, the shit that he did in True Detective was so spellbinding in that – I literally mean that I believe he cast a spell on everybody. If Matthew McConaughey somehow, it turned out, sold his soul to the devil, I would not be the least bit surprised. Because you're like,
1: he must have done something to convince people that he was a good actor, right? He,
0: well, because, you know, and this is the thing that I think is really amazing is, is that True Detective was that classic, like, you know how, like, you learn in school, like, a negative number times a negative number is a positive number, and you're like, what? Why does that make any sense? And And they try and explain it to you, and you're just like, Uh, Who came up with that concept? It's the same thing. True detectives writing was such shit. And Matthew McConaughey is so terrible. You join them together and I swear to fuck, they were sublime. They were sublime together. The exact level of, of wooden, but absolute, like Matthew McConaughey. And I think we can all agree on this now that we've seen him out in the field for some time is Insane. He is a lunatic. He is absolutely 100% convinced of his own confidence. He is is a one-man Scientology. He believes in the cult of Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey is his spiritual savior, and he has been able, through the power of Matthew McConaughey, to become even more Matthew McConaughey-ish than he was before. He is that much of a lunatic that somehow that lunacy... Tied to whatever the fuck that Nick Pizzolato did, you know, just joined into something that even – because I'm sitting and watching True Detective Season 2, which really is I, – like,
1: I, I have adored the backlash to that show. It, it, adored is, it. it, it is amazing. Nothing has made me happier yeah. than seeing people basically be like, but this is shit, and last year was so good. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean it really is. Well, to be fair, honestly, I think True Detective – what's amazing are the – how much of it is so shitty? But, of course, because they got so much good talent, this is one of those things that I think well, is they got good talent about Hollywood.
1: And Vince Vaughn.
0: Vince Vaughn's great in it. He's really good. He just doesn't have anywhere to go. He's good. He's. I'm sorry. Vince Vaughn's fine with me in that. I Honestly, all those people are good. The only person Where, I, I could push off a cool of clothes.
1: clothes. For this podcast, this episode, Vince Vaughn's good with me, Jeff Lester. Yeah, I I will. I'll sign off on that. That is, he is, he's quite good. That's at a it. promise you can take to the bank, listeners. It's it,
0: okay. You know what, Graham? You always do this. You oh, <laughs> so. But, I mean, the things that is coming out of everyone's mouth is terrible. And the fact is, at least 60, if not 70 percent of the second season of True Detective is just outright swiped from James Elroy's The Big Nowhere. That's all. It's just – it's – he – it is –
1: But wasn't that a common – not complaint, but suspicion of season one that it was all swiped as well?
0: Yeah. His The the very – well, it's very interesting because what slowly emerged was – ricolato it's it, it it it's it seems it well what happened was a bunch of people who were fans of the horror writer Laid, Laird Barron is that right is that is that the one or Whoever is it no, the, no, the king in yellow it's, it's thomas lagodi no 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 there's well okay how do i put oh, it? but not, not the king in yellow no 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 because the king in yellow is a reference that is dropped several times repeatedly that's a book that's written by robert chambers there's mentions of the Yellow King and there's mentions of Carcosa, so there's all these allusions to the Yellow King, the, the King in Yellow. But that's actually a
1: completely different story. The oh, is that, is that a red herring? Was he was he doing that to confuse people to where he's stealing from?
0: I don't. It depends on who you ask. I would say honestly that my belief is is that when it, when Pizzolatto created the first. Uh, season of true detective to be as absolutely generous as possible, even despite the bullshit that's spilling out of season two of true detective. I would say to be the most generous that I could is, is that Pizzolatto creates a, a true detective the first season. And as an academic, he sees a lot of ways in which mystery stories, horror stories and police procedural stories all kind of line up on the same axis and, and being an academic and also a fan of someone like Alan Moore, he litters a lot of in-references to, 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 cr- to make this, the backstory feel expansive in terms of its illusions and, and, and basically to make you think because uh, in the sense that uh, if nothing else, at one point, Pizzolatto is very, very definitely um, conflating the cyclical nature of television shows with the cyclical nature of um, Lovecraftian horror stories, basically. N- to, com- to, to dot the I's and cross the T's on this, th- the the thing, and this is really where the concept of, of Pizzolatto's um, uh, plagiarism comes in, uh, is is the fact that he took – The the rust Cole, the parts that were the most mesmerizing parts of True Detective are the various speeches that that, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character gives as an old burnt out like 10 years after the case happens and he's being interviewed and he's become like, actually in both scenes he is, you know, he expresses, he has these expression monologues of utter, utter nihilism. The problem for Pizzolato is, is that a lot of those speeches sounded conspicuously like the pieces written by uh, horror writer, Thomas Ligotti. Ligotti is not as exceptionally well read. It, he's, he's a one would say the horror field, which is relatively a small field. Um, his name's known, but I get the sense it was not, he's not especially well read in the field itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: A bunch of people who were fans of Legati started calling shenanigans and started pointing out the fact that a lot of the stuff that was that Russ Cole was saying in the first three or four episodes sounded like it was being heavily cribbed by Thomas Ligati. I mean, by uh, by Pizzolatto. Somebody who was writing a profile for Pizzolato, I, I want to say it was a Wall Street Journal, but I don't remember who, contacted him and was like, hey, I want to do a profile with you. And also I would like to find out, like, these guys are talking a lot, like, uh, about the influence of Thomas Ligotti on your work, um, saying that you have some very, very specific references that sound as if they've been lifted. Pizzolatto gives an interview with this guy where he talks about how Lugati was a huge – he was a huge fan of his work and how he put specific references in there as quote-unquote Easter eggs for other Lugati fans. Apart from that one interview, which he says – I did it, you know, I put it in as this thing. I'm I'm a huge fan of him. I'm a huge fan of Grant Morrison. I'm a huge fan of Alan Moore. You're going to see shout-outs and things in in this season that come from that. And basically... After that profile, he then goes on to say, no, it's all me. It's all me. Everyone's blowing this out of proportion. Meanwhile, the guys on the news groups who are still like kind of the only people who have read Legati are like bullshit. It is not. It's it's not. Yeah, this is is not all you. Yeah. And when you get to um, one of McConaughey's big speeches, um, final speeches in the last episode, it's pretty heavily lifted from a scene in Alan Moore's top ten, you know. Not with the same reference at all, so I don't think it really lands in nearly the same way. But it seems a lot more control X to control V than a lot of people, you know, than Legot than Pizza would really like to um admit. So second season of True Detective starts up and on the one hand, most of that's gone, uh but it's all terrible. He sounds like a, he sounds like a a bad parody of himself when he's trying to write tough guy dialogue and B, like the first episode in, I'm like, this kind of seems a little bit like, like plot points from like Elroy's the big nowhere. And then now that we're like four or five episodes in, I'm like, okay. So as far as I can tell, at least half of the plot lines appear to be those taken from the two, you know, in the big nowhere, Elroy has three cops. One is a a dude who is desperate to get his, um, who wants, uh, to be able to have a role in his son's life, despite the fact that his wife wants nothing to do with him, thinks that he's a bad influence and is basically suing for sole custody. The the guy, the police dude in Elroy's The Big Nowhere is so desperate to get his son back. That's all that he cares about, that he is willing to cut unsavory deals with, uh, I don't remember if it's the district attorney's office or whatever secret task force is trying to get him to get to the bottom of uh the communist plot, actually, since it's set in L.A. in the 50s. That is... Pretty much, again, there's like all sorts of details that are different, but that is hugely the same structure as Colin Farrell's story. And the story that John Carter of Mars is undergoing is pretty much the story of the one of the other of the three cops who is a closeted gay police detective. Um, he apparently is a closeted gay motorcycle cop. So we'll see where it goes. But at this point, I'm kind of like – the second season of True Detective makes a really compelling case that that the only things that Pizzolatto can really bring um, is, you know, a, a, a ridiculous... Staircase. Yeah, exactly. Well put. Is a ridiculous willingness to, to swipe. Um, and unfortunately, he just... As good as everyone is, and I think they're quite good, you really need someone as insane as Matthew McConaughey to be able to sell some of it. And, and everyone else is just not doing it. And yet, again, I've seen McConaughey in those goddamn car commercials where I was just like, this man's a gibbering lunatic. He is just well, a goddamn well,
1: – his, his car commercials are his performance in Interstellar, Jeff.
0: Wow. I I can imagine. I can imagine and god help me so if you if for anyone who likes those car commercials
1: hey check out interstellar (laughs)
0: check out interstellar but okay but so my point is graham is i'm willing to bet that ant-man is a better movie than interstellar in the sense that it is not (laughs) it's not laughably bad well it's not laughably bad but i mean i i guess my thing is is that as long as you do as long as you cannot if you're the sort of person that can't put help you know that can it, not footnote saying it's a good movie, you know, without adding like for a cookie cutter movie. I think Ant-Man is a good movie. It's just it's a well, good that, movie for a cookie cutter movie. It's not you're not going to mistake it for fucking Belle de Jour anytime soon. But okay. you shouldn't. Right.
1: Shouldn't you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that just to stir shit because I completely agree with you. Like there, there is... A, a very – I I think there's a very strong case to be made for for pop culture entertainment. Right. For movies that do not try and be Bells and Shirts. Yeah. For movies that, that literally just set out to entertain.
0: Yeah. I mean th- – but there is, of course, there is part of me because I'm the hand-ringy guy that, that we all know from listening to me go on for way too long. Uh, where it is kind of like I'm aware that it's sort of – there is a little bit of like – my problem isn't with Ant-Man – Per se, it's more with the idea of, like, it's a little hard for me to endorse potato chip movies, knowing that at the same time, like, we're all sort of getting kind of ridiculously obese on them,
1: you know, so. Welcome, whatnots, to Wait What, a comic book podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Where we have just spent 48 minutes not talking about comic books yeah
0: here's a comic book that i i sort of i'm afraid to talk about which is why i'm hoping that we can talk about it even if it's just briefly um strange fruit by jg jones and mark wade i read the first issue of it finally after having it sit in my to read pile forever did you read it i'm sure you read I it did. I and did. uh what do you think and also i i only saw the backlash the reaction of the backlash, I didn't read people's pieces where they – well, I, that's not true. I read one piece. So you
1: you, you saw the backlash to the backlash is what you're saying? I haven't I, – no. I haven't seen the ba- – was there a backlash to the backlash? The backlash to the backlash was pretty much personified by Mark Wade, from mm. what I could see. Interesting. Uh, and was pretty much him being like, hey, we mean well. What are you talking about? No one ever came directly to me with their problems. Uh, which is an interesting response mm-hmm. uh if by interesting I think we can all agree slightly misguided um, i putting aside the tone deaf nature of that title and really mm-hmm. more than anything, I think the title is the problem it 's up there it 's certainly up there isn 't it um, i think it's a i think it 's an utterly Mediocre comic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's kind of amusing because something I read this weekend—I don't think you did—but uh, goes along with this and comes from the same publisher is Power Up, right? The the Kate Leth comic with Matt. I think Matt Wilson is is the guy's name. Uh-huh. Um, because Strange Fruit and Power Up are both superhero origin stories, right? At, at nature, mm-hmm. Power Up feels remarkably fresh remarkably vibrant. I was really excited after finishing it. I was like, this is a great comic. This is, this is what I want from superhero comics. This comic feels alive and it feels contemporary and it feels like something that anyone could read and enjoy. Mm -hmm. And it feels honest beyond that. Like it feels like there's something, there's some weight to it as well as the the glitz. Um, And upon reflection, I was like, that's really interesting because script wise, it could be any Marvel or DC comic.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: all in the presentation. It's all in the artwork. Mm-hmm. But but I but I still feel that excitement. I still feel like if this is a great comic. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, Strange it by comparison feels like the very personification of bad comics to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It feels very conservative with a small C. It feels very overawed. By the quote-unquote heroic tradition that it is continuing, mm-hmm. uh, it feels very respectful to what has come before in comics, but not in, for example, American history. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean. Like it's like it feels very much like a comic by people who have read Superman and mm-hmm. thought, "What if we do Superman?" Right? But he's a black guy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he's landing when there's slavery, without actually being like. Is this an amazingly offensive idea? Right, because it's a horribly tone-deaf comic. But mm-hmm. worse for me, it's a horribly dull comic.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that actually surprised that hmm, this is the thing that I think is was fascinating to me was separate and, and apart from the political nature of it, which is I think would be which is important to talk about maybe, but I I don't feel like I'm especially well equipped to do so was just the idea of reading it and being like, (sighs) it, it, it it was, it was just, it was beautiful, but it was dull and it. And it felt strangely. um, It felt strangely like, like Mark Wade was revisiting, was inspired by Mark Wade comics you know, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, there is a. If it, if it hadn't been Mark Wade, I think many people would have made a. Oh, this guy had read Kingdom Come. Exactly,
0: joke. exactly, because it's got such a strong Kingdom Come feel to it in its pacing. Um, you know, I, I think probably to its detriment. i well, strongly to its detriment because I, because I was bored stiff. But it just, it really, even as I was like, well, the art's pretty here, but. I think because Kingdom Come was so long ago, it 20 really yeah. yeah, – It's Yeah. So it's like if this had come out like a year after Kingdom Come, it probably would have been – it probably would have felt super groundbreaking. But from where we stand now, it really did have that thing of like, oh, this is it, – it, it is kind, it's kind of – it's kind of embarrassing. You know? Uh, separate, even though, even though there's a way in which, I think, I think that there, the there's a way in which the superhero comic book industry needs a book like Strange Fruit. It's just it doesn't need it nearly as much as it genuinely needs creators of color. You know,
1: yeah, it it doesn't need a book like Strange Fruit by these creators. It needs a book like Strange Fruit by Ron Wimberly. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, do you know what I mean?
1: Like uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 it does. It needs a book like Strange Fruit by, and I know you say you don't want to engage the political nature, but I don't think you can really do a book like Strange Fruit without engaging the political nature. It's kind of political by its very existence. You don't do, Hey, Superman and black and he's arriving when there's slavery and say, it's not a political book. Cause it fucking is. Jeff. No, 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 no. Uh,
0: Graham. Uh, Okay. No, it is a political book. What I mean is, is that there is, a, there is an intersection currently on discussion. As you, po- as you point out, it is a political book. Uh, what I'm saying is is that I've, my thing is, is, is that idea of like, you know, no matter how much – I do think that we need this in the industry. Like I said, we just need creators of color more. But I'm at the point where – and this is something where I feel – from what I see on Twitter and what I see on Tumblr, there is, I think, there is an – there is one side of the expression that I agree with, and there's one side of the, of the expression that I don't agree with. And
1: oh, tell me, the, tell me the expression, now, guess. Well,
0: the the ex, the expression is I, I, the I, I mean more of a general thing. It's not a literal phrase, although I'd be oh. curious to hear your guess. You're like, oh, damn, I knew what it was. My my take on it is is to me is like the part that I agree with is when people are saying like, we don't need this. We need creators of color saying, telling these stories, we do not need white people telling their, their white approaches on racism, because unsurprisingly, those stories themselves end up being front loaded with all kinds of white supremacist assumptions. I'm down with that. The expression that I feel that I've seen on Twitter and Tumblr about some of these things is a little bit people who are kind of like, fuck you, I, we don't need allies you know and i'm not necessarily i think that actually although i completely understand the the sheer exhaustion and frustration of people of color having um white people stumble into their movements and basically thrash about and knock shit over and misinterpret the points and throw the spotlight off of what's truly important in the movements. I think that for myself, I still firmly believe that in order for any movement to actually affect change, it's got to be big enough and therefore it has to have allies. You know, and so ultimately, I think that for for me, like this is this is, and this is my weird white guy way of parsing hairs. I think the amount of outrage over Marvel's hip hop co- covers and how few creators of color seem to be working on them is a. I find that to be a more sensible form of outrage than. People being like, fuck this strange fruit, fuck this Mark Wade, you know, you know, fuck these guys who are just standing in the way of us being able to to really, really, really tell. And I'm like, I don't think that those guys are really in the way as much as the, you know, the fucking racist power structure above them, you know? Um,
1: I have, I have lots of complicated feelings about what you've just said. I'm sure. Um, In no particular order. Mm -hmm. One. I don't think there's a limit to the things you can be outraged about. So I'm perfectly fine with people being outraged about Marvel and being outraged about Strange Fruit.
2: Sure.
1: Um, I also agree that allies are a good thing, but I am very aware when I say that, that I am a straight white male. Sure. (laughs) And so my perspective is utterly skewed. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, of course I want there to be allies because I on some subconscious level don't want to be just the enemy.
0: Yes, right.
1: You know? Mm-hmm. So, you can't necessarily trust my take on whether or not there should be allies, because my options are thinking that having allies and being an ally is a good thing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or being at best obsolete and being, at worst, the enemy. Right. Well, you or know? it's, yeah, so, right. It's just so kind that, of that, yeah, hmm like I, uh, I I I am very aware of my privilege when I say that. Yes. Also, when I say things like I'm very aware of my privilege, I'm also very aware that I am basically living up to like a Tumblr stereotype. Mm-hmm. Which is something that uh I've become very conscious of mm-hmm. when you talk about things like this these days. Right. That there that the language has become so codified
2: mm-hmm.
1: that anyone can read whatever their bias is into anything you say.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Because there are so many predefined roles now, right? Um, and finally, I think that I think the the upset about the Marvel hip hop covers is, despite me saying you can be outraged about everything, um, I think it is something to be more outraged about. I think there there is it's a more important issue ultimately. Mm-hmm. But it also impacts something like Strange Fruit because the because these things don't exist in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. So because you have the conscious and subconscious uh, discrimination Mm -hmm. within the comics industry, you get a Mark Waid and a JG Jones being the big names, which means they're the ones who get the vanity project like Strange Fruit. Mm-hmm. As opposed to other creators having the chance to do it, yes you know mm-hmm. um so uh, for for me the the, the outrageometer uh sure starts with like at the top is the discrimination
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh and then below that for me honestly is like Tom revert's amazingly tone deaf yeah. response to it right um and then you get like strange Fruit being being existing but really like for strange fruit existing like my problem honestly might be as much it's a bad book Mm -hmm. than than the 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 racist overtones of it although that title holy fucking shit i can't believe they didn't change that title after it was announced because everyone when it was announced was like that's a terribly offensive title
2: yeah
1: i can't believe they didn't go maybe we should listen to these people we have three months before the book comes out. Right. Maybe we should change the title. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but they didn't. And so, hey, hey you guys. And I saw someone say something like, well, you know the person who wrote Strange Fruit was a white man. And I was like, sure, but still, you've heard the song Strange Fruit, right? You know what it refers to. Well, okay, but, uh, and this is,
0: This is why I, I, again, one of those like remarkable, like, that's another area where I'm like, yeah, but I mean, in a way, the, the, the problem comes more from the idea that Strange Fruit was written by a white guy back in a time where people of color ostensibly had even less of a voice than they have now. You know, so to me, there again, there's that idea of like, here's somebody who was who, uh, you know, was trying to write a story f- uh, outside of their own experience that they felt strongly about that ended up. Like hitting, you know, like that ended yeah. up really reverberating, and and I can see why someone like Wade was like, no, that's precisely why it has to be called Strange Fruit because that's entirely what I'm doing. That anyone who knows about the history of the song, it knows that it is it that it has built into it the idea of of an outsider looking in on the
1: sure, culture. But- that that would be, I would be interested to see him try that, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's, I think that's a really flawed analogy in a lot of levels, mm-hmm. um, in large part because unless I'm missing my guess, "Strange Fruit" was written for Billie Holiday, and so you have, you have a level of you have first hand um, African American. Input into the song right there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: as opposed to the comic where you don't. Uh, probably. I mean, I, I mean the the biggest part. I well, think... I, I'm not wrong in saying that Mark Waid and JG Jones are both white men, right? Yes,
0: no, 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 a- absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm just saying that, like, my understanding is, "Strange Fruit," at least according to Wikipedia, was originally written as a poem. You know, oh, it was
1: that? I'm totally wrong.
0: And then, and then it was, like, set to music, you know, um, but Abel Maripool did it with his wife, Laura Duncan, who admittedly apparently was an African-American singer. So he he did have the input of his wife, and it was well, th- performed as a protest song in the New York, you know. I,
1: it's the other thing is also – and I, I, I'm trying to think of a way to ask- – to say this without ascribing malice mm-hmm. or stupidity, because I don't think either are actually present, mm-hmm. but I'm very curious. I'd be very curious to know if Wade or Jones actively sought input from yes, people. Yes, exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. You I know? think that is important because I I get the sense that I feel that Wade, Wade as, as a guy from the South, was very much like... You know what? I, I'm kind of like, I know this. I got this. this. What, yeah, I got this. Exactly. And I think, I think, again, there, and there is no more quick, you know, easy um, underlining of the concept of white privilege than that. You know? of of having someone be like no 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 it's okay i got it cuz i cuz i've i've totally lived it i mean you know not as a black person in the south but as a white person in the south which is exactly where some of that stuff comes in where he's like no i mean there's a the really shitty horrible white guys and then you've got the you know you've got the well intentioned good guys you know who are white you know and so it very much even even in the realm of a book that is supposed to be you know a, a about an African American experience, oh, it's, it's all, an African American story. White guys. Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's hilarious. It yeah. is it is very much within the entire book. othering the ring, anyone who isn't a white male. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, it's just the whole thing is uh, is just mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's just it's it's all just very somewhere between unfortunate and shameful. And I'm not sure where. Well, I, I don't know. I mean,
0: I, I, that's a good question. I, for me, I'm like, oh, it's just unfortunate, you know, but But I think.
2: Is it
1: because again, this isn't something that existed in a vacuum. This was announced and people had, had strong opinions about it. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah,
1: yeah. you can go back, you can, you can delay it, you can seek input, you can rethink your thing. Right. And, you know, at some point, the, the, the fact that that didn't happen,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or, that's I, I, not true, it might have happened. The fact that it didn't happen to a degree where it's still such a problematic book. Yeah. Speaks to the ego of all those involved. <sighs>
2: Ah, yeah,
0: there's a, there's an ego. Look, Ah, okay. This is, you know, it's so funny because I feel like I'm like, ah, once again, I've maneuvered us right towards the iceberg of, 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 of racial issues for me. I think that, that I think for me, Part of the problem... (laughs) Please don't say something really offensive. No, I'm hoping that I won't. I'm hoping... I know, I know, know. Graham, you're like... like...
1: Literally, part of me
0: was
2: like, oh, God.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let me just say this, and and I hope that this will not actually come off. To me, I think part of the problem with racism in America is the fact that white people are so ashamed of the idea, are, are, are so appalled by the idea that they might be racist, that they will cover up their own or ignore their own racism rather than acknowledge it and work on it. So to me, I think that a book that is well-intentioned, but still racist or loaded with racist views to me, I feel is better to view it as unfortunate because I feel that if you start saying something like, oh, it's shameful, it unfortunately, I feel, tends to reinforce the fear that white people... That
1: even acknowledging yeah. that have done something wrong is something that you should... Move yeah, away from
0: you should be ashamed of exactly so to me i i personally feel that the real fucked part of being inside a racist white supremacist system is is that it is all around you and it filters through to people at various levels including that amazing level of white privilege where you're kind of being like no 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 i got this like and not really paying attention because it never really affects you in a negative way um, to examine your own privilege until it gets to the point where suddenly you're ashamed and then suddenly you're pushing it away and being like, no, fuck you. You people are just insane or however you're going to choose to overreact about it. I think it's it's much more beneficial for us to talk about, to, to make it look as if the idea that this that a, a racist system is actually successful in making people racist. And therefore they have to actually look at their own racial biases and they won't do it. If you make them super ashamed of it, because the the thing about white privilege is more often than not, they don't have to, they can turn around. They cannot pay attention to it. They can turn a blind eye to it. If you really do want people to change that system, they, you have, I feel it has to be in their, uh, unfortunately because because white people are privileged you got to put a lot of sugar coating on that pill in order to get people to swallow it so so in that sense i think that it i think it's important and good for us to talk about um people's racist biases as 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 things that are unfortunate and can be looked at and changed, as opposed to things that are shameful and should be hidden and therefore never end up getting addressed. At the end. See, I think I think I, I managed to make I that.
1: Think, I think you did well.
0: Okay, good. Whew, what a relief. So, yeah, you I... know
1: what's great? My my uh, my own, and I'm going to say it: shameful. Uh, tendency <laughs> would be to make some really cheap joke after that, <laughs> but that would be, that would be terrible. Did you, did I you know, have a good one through lined them up? I in my brain and every single one I was like, I can't do that.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm sort of glad that you didn't because mm, eh, let's, let's let it stand. Let's maybe talk about something else. Um, yeah.
1: Jeff, what do you want to talk about?
0: Well, that's a really good question, Graham. Uh, I can tell you that I read the second issue of Providence, issue two, and I really, really wish – I pray to God that somewhere in some other country it's actually being marketed under the title Wikipedia because that would be great.
1: Um, <laughs> Wait. Are you saying that as a compliment or an insult? I actually I, don't I, know. <laughs> it, I'm, I'm actually saying it – well, I, I
0: think it I, sort of is a combination of both. I I found it um, – it's – I'll be really fascinated to see what the hell happens with Alan Moore's novel because I feel that the first two issues of Providence have been v- really very much like – I don't want to say a self-parody of Moore, but it has become a very – he seems to have become toothless and old issue two of Providence is the sort of thing that one would see as a potentially riveting um, examination or unfolding of the occult. If it hadn't been for the previous 19 to 30 Alan Moore unfoldings of the occult that have happened already. You know what I mean?
1: Uh <laughs> Oh, Jeff, what did you well, think? Welcome on to the <laughs> Alan Moore disappointment train. It's comfortable here. <laughs> there
0: are many seats,
1: eh? despite <laughs> how crowded it gets, yeah, despite exactly, how many people exactly. are on. There's room for many more. Jeff. Yeah, there's room exactly. for many more. We're thinking of adding a few more carriages. Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: But again, there's a little bit of the, the. the you know, I mean, comics are a collaborative medium. And when Alan Moore is collaborating with with Eddie Campbell... Uh you can get that sort of shambling, you know, should be sure, digressive, but, but is actually the point of the story, you yeah, know. But
1: uh how many people actually collaborate with Alan Murray these days as opposed to illustrate what he has handed into Avatar? Well Do you know what I mean? Like like Eddie Campbell, I get the sense, collaborates. Yeah. Like actually makes decisions himself hmm? that that affect the uh the finished work and when i say makes decisions i mean makes narrative decisions that affect the finished work and it's jason burroughs who's doing providence right yeah it's jason burroughs and i'm quite sure that jason Burrows is saying amazingly faithful to the undoubtedly overlong script that he was given
0: Sure. But I, I think to to even just winnow that down a, a little bit better to me is like we were talking about Strange Fruit. Somebody writes the song, somebody sings the song. You know. Alan Moore writes a song. One of the things that's great about Eddie Campbell is, you know, he's got a lovely singing voice as far as cartooning goes. His he can rock in real life. Yeah, I'm I don't doubt it. Although I've never heard him sing, I'm I'm quite sure. Jason Burroughs very much draws like the like the lead singer of Creed sings. You know what I mean? Like it is just
1: <laughs> No, I want you to actually put that into words. How does the lead singer of Creed sing, Jeff? Uh
0: he sings like milk stain staining a table. Yeah, a milk staining a table. Yeah. It's it's it, Burroughs... I actually don't know what that means. Bur, Burroughs, uh, to me, Jason Burroughs draws with a very thin uh, line weight without a lot of um, um, variation in that line. And unlike the Lene Clare people who do the same thing, I don't feel that he has a particularly strong design sense. And so therefore what you have is kind of a sludgy
1: drone. I find that Burroughs' work is, follows in the tradition of someone like a Jeff Darrow, Mm -hmm. but without the aesthetics of a Jeff Darrow. Right. And so you're left with a a lot of busyness. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to guide the eye.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Like Burroughs, for my money, m- makes a lot more work for the colorist. Yes. Just to, to, to differentiate the planes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I find Burroughs to be a very undynamic artist. Mm-hmm. Which is ironic, because, you know, a lot of his avatar work is, ah, you know, horror, shit, gore. Right. But it's, it's very, uh Boring Horror shit gore Sludgy
0: it, drone? Sludgy drone perhaps, Graham? Is that where I, you're going I'll, with
1: I'll it? go with sludgy drone so You Thank seem you. to be very, very enamored with that phrase So sure, sludgy drone <laughs> um, No, but you know what I mean? Like there, There's there's, there, there's something very uh, His work is there And is there
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: There's, so, it, it, I can't imagine people getting excited About Jason Barra's during a com- right. uh, comic
0: Well, and so I think that this, this this I feel is sort of what I'm saying is there's, there's a very good chance that both were both Campbell and Burroughs were equally faithful to uh, more script. I think the thing is, is that uh, Campbell Campbell's conception of being faithful comes with his own, um, you know, his own tone, his own melody to it. And I think that that is, It's hugely important, especially for for someone like uh, with more and especially it seems like more in his later day. That being said, I'm not sure if anyone could could manage to make the stuff that's happening in Providence feel deft at all. Um, But in that sense, bro seems especially poorly. Yeah, ill suited for
1: the task. So. Okay, so here's my question. Are you reading Crossed Plus 100 or 100 Plus or whatever it's called? I read the first couple of issues of it and... What was it? Because you're talking about Moore a lot here. Yes. And for my money, like his League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and this, but there's there's Crossed in there. So it, it, does his Crossed work have this, um, how should we describe it? Scholarly dryness? I would,
0: for me, yes. In fact, I would say that, uh, that, that Crossed plus 100 is, is almost the epitome of Moore's, uh, scholarly dryness in that it's very much a kind of, oh, here's a thought experiment of the Crossed universe and then adding all these years on top of it. It seems, okay okay in its stately way i know there are other people who like it and i also feel that maybe there's a worm that is getting ready to turn that's there but i also have to admit there's a lot of people who think that his recent work for the league of extraordinary gentlemen uh especially that sort of mini trilogy uh with nemo um was quite strong and and It didn't. It didn't really do much for me. So it could well be. But interestingly enough, I also feel that that is, um, you know, it just may be that I'm, uh, you know, I've gotten too old to to necessarily appreciate his charms, you know, or that what more is doing. Like it's a little bit like when uh, when musicians turn to jazz. You know what I mean? It's like. (laughs)
1: Musicians that that all-important jazz album, yeah. Yeah,
0: you know, it's like, they're like, hey, check this out, and I'm like, skabity-boo-ba, and you're just like, that sounds dull as shit. And you're like, no, check it out, fleming Wama you know, and you're just, I'm like, I don't, I can't really hear it. But meanwhile, there's a bunch of guys, you know, snapping their fingers going, yeah, jazz, bo, yeah, you know. It's like cartoonists who, like, look at their <laughs> earlier work, and they're like, ah, I want to refine my line. And eventually they do that in a way that you're just like, that is not really what I like about your work at all, Rob Liefeld. And he's like, no, it's great. I'm not even trying to draw feet. Look, I'm pointing out how much I don't draw feet anymore. Skabity-doo-boo. Bloodstrike Volume 2. So um actually that wasn't where it was going to be my actual example. It was really somebody like Joe Kubert or somebody like that. Or, you know, what you don't like how Joe Kubert ended up? Uh, Actually, I think I think no, I think Joe. Well, here's the thing. Actually, Joe Kubert's another is is kind of a bad choice because I think Kubert actually hit his point of cartooniness of where where he wanted to draw. Um, and relative, kept his life. That was
1: relatively early, which is not true. He just had a really long career. But he mid- had a, yeah. midway through his career.
0: Yeah, midway through his career, he got to where he wanted to go and he actually kept it with relative consistency. So you can look at a dude like Kubert, and if you come in at the right time, you're like, ah, oh, this is great who knows if you were somebody who was following him back when he was doing golden age books, you're like, Oh no, no, no. Where's all that fun personality that he had those, you know, those weird extra lines. Like you can look at someone like uh, Frank Robbins's uh his, his comic strip work, which is amazing. And then when you get to his superhero work, some people are like, ah, no, the flop sweat. I don't care. Whereas other people are like, Oh no, it's perfect. It's, it's, You know, I do think what I think is interesting is, is that I feel that most guys are usually working and refining and are interested in what they're doing to the point where, to where they, they quote unquote refine it. But sometimes that gets to a point where most people are like, oh, he's, he's lost the plot. So there may be people for whom Providence League and Cross Plus 100 is very much um, more being. Incredibly thought-provoking outside of the usual easy um, dynamicism of a superhero morality. Um, but for me, it's just kind of like, yeah, that's that's pretty – this is pretty goddamn dull. This is pretty goddamn dull. I'm sorry, Providence, but this is obvious and dull. This really – this, like, Providence could be True Detective Season 3 if we're not careful. Like, just flat out.
1: Oh, know? I feel that was, that was almost a low blow.
0: (laughs) Well, it's tough because nobody's technically detectives. But, uh,
1: it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not enjoyable. Not yet.
0: No, that's true. Aren't they
1: all detecting? Aren't aren't we
0: all true detectives underneath? Aren't we truly? Um, let's (laughs) see. I, I gotta tell you, I read. Um, You read
1: nothing, admit it, you read nothing this week
0: I read two volumes of My Love Story, My Love Story Volume 1 and 2, and My Love Story has two exclamation points at the end, Graham McMillan, two of them
1: First of all, this has to be manga
0: Yes, yes
1: Absolutely. Even before you told me the two exclamation points, I was like, it's called My Love Story. Either it's a 1950s DC title. Exactly. Like you said, Volumes 1 and 2, I was like, there's no way they're fucking collecting that shit. It's yes. a manga comic. Yes.
0: Now, for bonus points, everyone, we get to listen as Graham McMillan tries to describe what happens in My Love Story.
1: Uh, Well, I'm guessing it's a love story. Good. All right. I'm going to give you that. Invo- oh, give me some clues here. So, is everyone involved human?
0: Okay. See, I actually think that it would be not so much for the accuracy of it, but just for the splendor of hearing (laughs) you just, just, just whatever comes into your mind, whatever free associations Uh, you do.
1: One of them is going to be an aspiring manga creator. Okay. Uh, who is working on a series and doesn't realize how hard manga creators work. Oh God. (laughs) And let's spend maybe 70 pages throughout the first volume about how hard manga creators work. Uh, they will be of indeterminate somewhere in their twenties ages. They will wear glasses and have black shaggy hair.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they will be falling in love with a a woman. They will pretend as their muse, but is really some sort of weirdly fetishized uh, character with no agency. She, however, will be in love with his rival, mm-hmm. um, who is a robot. <laughs>
0: Great! Oh my god, this is so good! You're, you're, you're killing it, Graham. This is really it. This uh, is everything I could have hoped for and more.
1: I've kind of run out of in there,
0: really. Yeah,
1: yeah I think yeah. you've got the basic what, stuff. What is, what is love story really? Okay, so m- my love story is, uh. It's, it's going to not be a romance at all, isn't it? You're it's going to be like, and there's a demon! <laughs>
0: No, uh, my love story takes place in high school. Um,
1: of course it does. Yeah.
0: And the thing that actually surprised me because the the first chapter um, – well, okay. First off, I, I owe a huge apology. Let me see if I can find – because what happened was somebody either DM'd me or uh, – hold on. Let's see here. Uh, God damn it. Some someone actually was like, Hey, have you tried reading my love story? Um, I think you'd really dig it because it's oh no, checking it out on Crunchyroll. So someone recommended that I check it out on Crunchyroll. Um and I was like, Oh, it's a Crunchyroll manga? Turns out to be an actual uh anime. And I apologize, person who recommended it for me. Interestingly enough, they were like, Well, I know you like GoGo thirteen, so I thought you would dig this. And I'm like, What? There's something called My Love Story with two exclamation points that actually has a Gogo Thirteen esque aspect to it. Let me in that shit as fast as you can, um, which it is. It is essentially uh, the the first episode posits it quite well as a love triangle between two best friends, one of whom is ridiculously handsome and reserved, but interestingly enough has. Appears to have shaggy blonde hair in the story, although who can really tell because of the whole mystery of, of story, co- you know, comic book coloration for for characters in manga and anime. But one of whom is ridiculously suave, and all the girls in high school are in love with him, and he's indifferent to all of them and is a heartbreaker. His best friend is uh, Takeo Goda, and Takeo is enormous. He's like six foot six. He's 200 and at least 250 pounds. He looks like a cross between a sumo wrestler, go, go 13 and a nightclub bouncer. But of course he has a has a good heart. B has wanted nothing more than to be in love with someone and C every girl that he's ever been in love with is in, is Always, it's it's always turned out.
1: Exactly.
0: So what ends up happening. So I
1: was not a million miles away, worryingly enough.
0: Yeah, 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 you were. Which is kind of great. But that's okay, man. It's totally cool. Listeners, we all know that Graham has read Death Note and Bakuman and did a fine (laughs) job synthesizing them and then throwing a robot, perhaps as a
1: synthesizer. (laughs) We're not going to hold that in. Death Note wasn't even even in there until I said the demon thing at the very end. I was literally just ripping off Bakuman. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was, I was,
0: I'll be honest. I was trying to make you sound a little more well read than you actually were. So it's
1: (laughs) at least by your planets or something, or 20th century boys, or uh, yeah, the robots, robot Pluto. There you go, Pluto. Pluto. Yeah, of course. (laughs) There we go. See, it's
0: great. I'm totally, I'm totally down with this. I thought, believe me, you did, you did super passing grade you know four stars i thought you did a wonderful job cuz it was abso- it was absolutely entertaining anyway so my love story is the first chapter is they meet a girl that who seems incredibly sweet uh that takeo of course instantly falls in love with at first sight and she seems to be of course into his best friend which he's so in love with this girl he's like fine i'm going to do whatever it is to help make her happy, and of course, what he doesn't realize is she's actually in love with him, not his best friend. But thanks to the miracle what? of completely shot, yeah, because they're high school kids and Japanese culture being what it is, because there's the 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 nuance of how people express their emotions. Because he doesn't have the that confidence in himself and is also dense, but of course, incredibly good-hearted, like so in other words it 's for uh, for anyone who 's had really bad self esteem mess up a potential uh, uh love relationship this is a great this is a great manga. this really is like it, it and and what happens is I sort of figured like, oh wow, this will be interesting because at some point his best friend 's going to fall in love with the girl too, and you 're going to see the two of them essentially try and enable the other person past the point of ridiculousness. Um, But actually what ends up happening, uh, spoilers everyone who who wants, you know, the the first chapter to remain undefiled for them. And of course, the great thing about manga, a first chapter is like 50 or 60 pages. Uh, Is Yamato, the, the girl, and Takeo, the boy, actually are able to, uh, somehow awkwardly confess their feelings for one another and become boyfriend and girlfriend. And the rest of volume one and leading into, uh, episode two is watch these two incredibly good-hearted but comically inept people develop a relationship, have to deal with any number of things, whether it be bitchy friends over enthusiastic friends, what is going on with the mysteriously cool, suave guy, because there are some hints that maybe he might be gay and in love with Takeo himself. And to sort of reinforce it every so often, something happens like, Oh no, a fire breaks out or there's an emergency and Takeo who really is built like the incredible Hulk, Goes on to save people, um, you know people who sometimes were just frequently dismissing him as a gorilla and saying that they would never date him just a few scenes earlier. And even though he hears it, he totally saves them from you know a burning building or whatever. So it is, it I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like it's like it's like a wish fulfillment sandwich. You know what I mean? Made on fantasy unicorn bread. And I can't wait to read the other three volumes that they have out in
1: print. I love that you describe it like that, and then you're like, and I can't wait to read more of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it really is. I'm just like, it is... What, it what is... I
1: find when I listen to you talking about manga, <laughs> almost all the time... Yes. ...is that it seems to be your guilty pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I feel that more often than not, you are dismissive about the tropes that are that are on show right and yet love it
0: yeah i think that's in a a way
1: that you're you don't have that relationship with western comics with western comics you either like it or you don't whereas with manga it always seems to be for you that you know that you shouldn't like it yet you love it well and you seem like weirdly apologetic Yes.
0: Well, the older I get, the more that seems to be just the case of almost is this everything. because I
1: once called you out for whatever it was re- you were reading that was amazingly misogynistic trash. Interestingly
0: enough, I believe that was also Bakuman. So, uh, yeah. No. How do I put it? It. It. Well, there's a few things. Again, it's a little bit like Ant Man the movie. My love story is very clearly not going to dislodge uh, a. You know, Pluto or, um, you know, 20th Century Boys or Drifting Classroom or, you know, and, and there's going to be someone above that who's like, oh, those are all ridiculous trash manga, too. No one's going to mistake my love story for my love in, uh, uh, for War and Peace. And frankly, no one's really going to mistake Scott Snyder's Batman from war and peace either it's just one of the things that's Have you is, seen
1: the cbr reviews lately oh no. yeah
0: no kidding right well but so i think that's the thing coming as we do from superhero comics being you know something that you and i were both raised in we don't really have to apologize for them because i feel like it's very easy like we both know what we're talking about and we don't have to be Mm, either apologetic for it, or I hope we're old enough and nuanced for it that we're not exactly like, yeah, we're we're not reviewers for CBR either. You know what I mean? I, so. I
1: guess what I'm saying is, I don't. I kind of want to just be like Jeff. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. It's it's. It's fine that you like this. Well, and uh, okay, I I like to think that I'm
0: perfectly okay with it. And in fact, there are times where I think that it's worth underlining because I think that it's even more amusing how much sillier it is that I'm enjoying it. You know what I mean? I think what it is is it's just very much – one of the things that I appreciate about manga is that there is a different – there is a broader spectrum of – Uh, ego fantasies on display than just the traditional superhero. I have power. I'm going to do the right thing, even though nobody understands me, ego fantasy. Right. But I'm not, but, but because that is because we know sort of that superheroes are baked that, that that's the level at which the vast majority of them operate on, you and I really don't have to discuss that every time. When I go around and express ridiculous amounts of enthusiasm for um, for manga, I really do want to qualify it because I feel that people have a you, tendency. You, feel like
1: you have to contextualize it.
0: Yeah, because I think, I think people do sometimes make the mistake when, when manga really had its – a super that super big wave post two thousand of people who were like, yeah, manga. It's you know, it's more like real life, and of course, it's not. My love story. It's 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 not.
1: Exactly, it really isn't. Well, well actually, that's not true. It is, but the focus shifts from uh, power fantasy to soap opera. Yeah, well, that I but guess it that's is what I mean. more like real life because you don't have well it depends what you're reading yeah but for example my love story sounds like it does not have any obviously supernatural uh or science fiction elements that that you've described
0: well yeah no no one has yet to turn out to be an alien
1: but sure so so in that case it is more realistic than batman yeah but i mean the that, but it's how do just, i put it it's right. nowhere near realism
0: yes exactly it's sort of that weird and that's that weird again it's that very weird sliding spectrum that i feel is is actually really worth pointing out because there are some people who you know um you know when i talked about something like Solonin, for example or nishikahara holograph um you know those things ha- come much closer To dealing with real life as it's as it as it is lived, and therefore I feel need to be given some extra props, you know. And yet, by the same token, I'm well aware that I, you know, at least in the case of Solonin, I would much rather read my love story, you know. Um, Even though I think that that people can make a good case for it being, you know, the Solan and being the better manga, I would still have to say yes, but I don't like it as much. Please, if you excuse me now, I have to go read my frothy fantasy. You know that happens to be, as you point out, a, super, a soap opera fantasy. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that's just it. It's my it's my super my super tendency to over and yet I, I would like to think that it falls short of being actually shameful. So.
1: Grand Mac Shame really. is is the theme of this week's. Episode, yes, it, it apparently ever. is. If you're, of many if you're joining us, uh, mm-hmm. this week's. Uh, Wait, what we're talking about shame, yeah. and I have a story on the flip side of that that I'd like to share. It's actually a San Diego story, Jeff, that I didn't share with you Ooh. when we spoke off mic last week. Great. I was flying back from the San Diego Comic Con uh, last week, and next to me was this. Shall we just say incredibly chatty? Amazingly annoying woman. She was. We're leaving San Diego, and it's you know it's Sunday afternoon Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, there's a lot of people there who have been on Comic Con. Right. This woman feels the need to express loudly that she doesn't understand why anyone would go to Comic Con. She does not understand why anyone would read comic books, <laughs> and she, you know, pretty much is is. She doesn't come like right out and basically go, you know, subliterate idiots. But mm-hmm. she's she's heading in that direction.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: But she's she's very forthright in her opinions. She asks me what I was seeing in San Diego, and I'm like, funny story, I was like Comic <laughs> <laughs> and you can see her just be like, okay, I'm not going to talk to this guy, which is fine for me, right? right? I yeah. do not want to talk to this woman either. Yeah. I did not buy many things in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, a mixture of I didn't really have enough time to do a lot of shopping and when I did do shopping I couldn't really find anything I really wanted for the price I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I did buy was Guy Delisle's A User Guide to Neglectful Parenting.
2: Mm.
1: Which is his, like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's very throwaway. It's a cheap book of I'm a parent but a bad parent mm-hmm. gags. And um, this is,
0: it, just to make sure that I've got it right, Guy Dalil is the guy who's did Pyongyang and
1: – Yes, I, I, and uh, Jerusalem and, and the travel books. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I take that out of my bag in the plane and I'm mm-hmm. reading it because I've not had a chance to read it because I've been really busy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The woman actually – first of all, is clearly reading like <laughs> the book beside me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then decides she should take the time to say, oh, that's not really a comic book. That's more like a newspaper cartoon. (laughs) Like, that's okay. You're, You're not one of them. Right. Which was, you know, breathing to me. And I wished that I had, like, you know... Fucking issues of the Hulk or something in my bag <laughs> that I then take out. Do you know right. what I mean? Like I right. bought like seventy-two issues of the Hulk and I just took out a stack and mm-hmm. leave it there. i am mm-hmm. like, I'm so glad you approve.
2: Right. Right.
1: Now I to read Bill Mandlow's entire output. <laughs> um, but it was a really it was a really weird moment, you know? Mm-hmm. That you because you know, we were just talking about realism and blah 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 blah, blah And the guide little book is mainstream in a way that a lot of comics just aren't yes because there's no fantastical elements and it's it's a mainstream topic how many parents are there in the world Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like it, it is it's it's one of those things that is much more universal even than batman yes you know (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, I love
0: that. I love the idea that Batman will be the gold standard in everything, not just comic
1: no, book sales, no, but, but... Think, no. But think about it. Batman is like mm-hmm. Batman is like, the biggest superhero in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Because of the movies, because of the TV show, because of the cartoons, because of everything, Batman yeah. is like the most well known superhero in the world. Yes, and
0: and well accepted, one would say. Yes,
1: mm-hmm. Batman. Batman has this weird credibility that other superheroes don't. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, being a parent, much more so. So it was this really weird moment where this woman, first of all, was clearly like, he looks like a professional. He's not coming on with one of those, you know, enormous fucking bags that say Comic-Con on them.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. He's putting
1: his laptop bag onto the onto the, the seat. <laughs> He's normal. So then... He's not normal. He went to Comic Con. Something's wrong with him. To so then, oh, but he's reading that sort of thing. That's not really a comic. He's normal again.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. How old was she? Do you did you um, did you mention that?
1: I, I strangely enough, I didn't ask her how old she was.
0: Well, no, no, no. But I mean, um, eyeball. I, I mean, I'm bad at those sorts of things. But like,
1: just, I yeah, eyeballing it, I'm gonna say she was late forties, early fifties.
2: Okay, yeah, okay.
1: Um. So- and it was just, I don't know, it was just this strange moment,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, where you're like, okay, cultural penetration. I'm, I, I think I'm seeing it now. Mm-hmm. Because, and also, it's funny coming from Comic-Con where you're just surrounded by that shit. Yes. Like, endlessly for mm-hmm. five days.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like, San Diego itself starts, and I wish I'd taken photographs of this, you know, all the, the restaurants and everything are like, what if we put up superhero posters, blah, blah, blah. What if we paint, you know, really Terrible superheroes on our windows. Yeah, uh, yeah. and so it, it's like it's like a virus that infects the city. Yeah, like in Ground Zero is the convention center, and it, as it spreads out, it gets slightly lesser and lesser, but it's it's very prevalent. So you really are right in the middle of it, and it's it's it skews your version of reality. I don't can't remember if I said this to you last week or not, but I'm talking to one of the PR people from John and Quarterly on the last day, and we basically have a conversation that goes. I have no idea what's happening in the rest of the world.
0: Oh, yeah, I think you did mention this. Like, Mm
1: done. And I'd had a conversation a couple of nights before with one of the DCPR people, and she pretty much said the same thing. Mm -hmm. Where she was like, Do you know what? Wouldn't it be terrible if there was like an earthquake or something and we were all stranded at a Comic Con? (laughs) I just (laughs) wasn't getting insights of like Comic Con is in the world, but she was getting insights of like, This is not reality. Yes. Like, you're here. And it's all-encompassing when you're there. Yeah. But it's not reality. And it's good to remind yourself that it's not reality at some point.
0: Well, and that is, that is like you said, that the, to go from that to having a woman kind of be like… Um, like within, within like an hour, Jeff. Yeah. 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 Exactly. You know, Although, it's... again, to me, it was very much – that's very much that idea of like when you said it, I was like, Okay, this woman's got to be in my brain. She was kind of over a certain age, you know, because I just feel yeah, like.
1: we're curious about that. What's the age?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Because I, because age. I've, yeah. Yeah. The generation thing is is very very different. I think now. You know. Um. Are you still there?
1: I am. I am. I I'm, I don't think you're hearing me because I asked you what age you thought oh. she should be.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. I just heard age, age. So yeah, you did definitely drop out. Uh, uh, yeah, when you told when you told me the story, I, I imagine someone in their in their early fifties or maybe late forties. You know, um, or it's pot-
1: super- so. But yeah. like Jeff, how old are you?
0: Well, sure. Uh, I, I right. I'm late forties. But see, this is it. How do I put it? I feel like is it
1: because you were the outlier. Like you're so conscious of yourself being a cultural outlier that you're like, sure. Like, you know, other people of my generation would not – do not understand. Uh,
0: Yeah. I would say that the majority of the people of my generation – like there's just huge – there's huge chunks. There are the people who were into some level of nerdetry that they kept – completely obscured or uncovered or didn't really talk about and now feel vindicated, the AKA true believers, you know, there are the people who are just like, like, Hey, I like this, the new converts. And then I think there's people who are like, who think that it's all kind of silly and ridiculous, but sort of no better than to say it because it would make them seem unhip because the zeitgeist is so clearly about geek culture these days. Um, and then you get those people who are kind of like, you know, well, I've just never seen the appeal of blankety blank and they'll be saying it about whatever, you know, whether that's geek culture or anything else that's come along in the last 40 years, you know, it's like, ah, smartphones or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's who they are.
2: Yeah,
1: but to be fair, smartphones, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, come on. So, I mean, so that's kind of my thing is, is like, I'm used to be to people, to people my age, there are those people who are kind of like, oh yeah, you know, like I, 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 you know, I dug those Batman movies or like, oh, I sure went and saw Spider-Man and I thought it was fine. And, you know, basically they're okay with it. Or, and this is great, people who I went to high school with who were not nerds at all, the new converts who are people who are like um huge Doctor Who fans or something like that, stuff that seemed you know back when I was young, like being a Doctor Who fan was like you know the ner- the nerdiest of the nerd you know um which wasn't really a pejorative for or or a positive for me in any way it was just sort of a uh a map of the, of the landscape. Yeah. You know, just, just what seemed like a map of the landscape as I understood it. So, um, you know, whereas like consequently, I, I remember like, you know, and this is a long time now, like seven or eight years ago, there was at the law firm where I work, there was a really, um, awesome, smart paralegal who was just out of college and had great taste in like, um, Music and shows and stuff like that. And she really, she, she read the shit out of, uh, Dark Knight Returns and Batman year one and a few other liked Batman. And I was giving her all these books and her, 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 what she said was something along the lines of like, wow, you are so cool. You know what I mean? And I was just like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. You you know, that that (laughs) literally is the wrong description, right? You don't mean that, right? Like you're, you mean cool in the sense, you mean that in the ironic sense and God bless her. I mean, exactly.
1: You mean sarcastic,
0: right? But there are those people for whom there, there was kind of that idea of like, there are those people who are like, wow, you, you, you are able to summarize like the first 150 issues of X-Men. That's awesome. And that's a part of the culture where I'm just like. Where that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I'm like, God bless, you know, I'm living in the promised land in a way. But there's also a part of me that's just kinda like, huh? Like the way I was raised, I just can't ever believe Uh-oh. it.
1: Yeah. Oh, can you Graham, can you hear me? Jeff Lester.
0: Graham McMillan.
1: No, anyway, we should we should go back to what we were talking about, which was the the amazing uh, shift in cultural norms. That yes. you you are cooler than you thought.
0: Yes, which is horrifying to me i have to say i do not that actually makes me deeply deeply uncomfortable so in a way that keeps me reading volumes of my love story i don't know that's where things get uh, get weird right like technically it, i should yeah
1: it's hmm? really interesting because i say why and then i remember that at some point um i was talking to a neighbor who's not into comics or, or like nerd culture at all mm-hmm. um and it's just for went san diego and they were just like oh that sounds, sounds super exciting Like Mm -hmm. that that, because I was like I'm on a panel and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and they were really excited for me Mm -hmm. in a way that I was just like what no (laughs) Why, why would like why would you be why would you be excited right do you know what I mean it's a really really strange thing yeah yeah I think I think there
0: maybe it's because of something similar to it
1: you know it's just part
0: of. Part of why we do what we do or how we do what we do is based on this very natural, it's just, we can't quite see outside of the bubble of it, you know. It's our own nerd privilege, if you will. So it's it's such that it's like, it just seems ridiculous to be complimented for something or be considered cool for something that I would be doing Regardless of, and again, it's that kind of concept of like,
1: but isn't that what Yeah, the very definition in, in cool. the first place? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you're so. not, you're not doing it for the cool Jeff. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You mean it, man. <laughs> yeah. You got it. Daddy-o go Jasbo. I'd say if one thing comes out of this very strange podcast, this has been a really <laughs> weird episode. Um, <laughs> I, I hope Jasbo catches on.
0: I do too. I do too. Yeah, that that would that would make me incredibly happy. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. um, because in almost every other respect, this has been one of the stranger episodes we've done, and that is saying a lot. But it really has been. Yeah, I think so. I
0: think so. I'm I'm really glad that you're going to write the show notes up for it this time and not me because because uh, it'd be really confusing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's cute, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> um, good luck with the show
2: notes. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> uh, hey this week
0: yeah yeah no it's true it's true
1: so graham should we but yeah we we should probably like wrap things up because uh i don't know how you're gonna edit this but we did just get cut off because of 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 bad connections so yes. it's probably a sign it's yeah. a sign from the, the gods that uh for a comic book podcast we really didn't talk about comics that much okay. but we did talk about lots of other things it's, it's been a weird week it's I been don't a weird to week. tell you
0: <laughs> My understanding is Is that we are actually taking Another break next week Because Jeff demanded it And then we're going I to, have f- to yes.
1: When we're finished recording I am going to ask why you demanded it Because I've totally forgotten Oh it was, uh, yes, okay it, we'll, we'll discuss When prying ears aren't listening, Jeff That's right, you guys Why not? <laughs> you <laughs> Um yeah, so we're not here next week, but we're here the week after that,
2: yes. and then
1: we're going to be around for a bit. You know how it is. We like to take it easy here at Why not Towers. Oh, you Why can, not as Towers. ever, find us on the Twitters. We are at Wait One Podcast collectively. And when I say collectively, we don't actually tweet that much on there, but you do get updates from our Tumblr, which I have not updated at all this week, because I am shit. Well, that's... dot yes. uh, Waitwatpods.tumblr.com. That's right. Uh, if you're looking for us individually on Twitter, uh, we're at LazyBastid. That's Jeff. Mm-hmm. L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. Uh, and I am at Graham M. at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a third member of the What Collective. Yes. His name is Matt Oh, He is really showing, putting us up and showing us t- t- terrible shame with mm-hmm. his wonderful weekly, uh, Written posts that he is doing at waitwhatpodcast dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of Matt's Twitter offhand. Can you?
0: I believe it is Matt underscore Turl T E R L. So that's it is Matt T unders-
1: underscore T E R L. Yep, yeah, Terl. He's great, and he really does put us to shame.
0: Oh man, he's uh, kicking uh, our asses.
1: He really is, right? <laughs> um, we are also. In case you're looking for us on Patreon, we are at patreon.com forward slash wait what podcast. Um There are a bunch of you now. Uh, I'm going to have to look at the number. Do you remember the number offhand hand of how many people are?
0: 110.
1: Which is just ridiculous. Thank you very much to yeah. everyone. Uh, I... I think that's ev- everywhere we are. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher if you do not like the current way that you're listening to us. If you do not like either iTunes and Stitcher and you're looking for a different way of listening to us, if you go to com, you will find show notes for each episode uh, mm-hmm. written normally by Mr. Jeffrey Lester, the more talented of the duo that you're t- listening to, um, and also a link to a downloadable version of the podcast that is free of your uh, multinational conglomerate of choice.
0: That is true. I should also point out that a Graham is ever is being too modest and B, if you go to the website, the RSS feed, although it says iTunes in the title, because iTunes requires that will work in just about any RSS feeder. I mean, I think people who use RSS feeds for their podcasts probably know that, but if not, honestly, that, that will do you up quite
1: nicely. Um, but yes, you
0: can also grab those
1: episodes there. Uh, I
2: think that is... As we, are,
1: yes. as we are finishing, I just want to say very quickly that mm-hmm. um, I haven't talked about any of the comics that are out this week with the exception of Power Up and Strange Fruit. I will say again, Power Up is really, really good. And yes. people should read Power Up. And on a similar note, um, I'm loving Prez. Issue 2 of Prez came out this week. Oh, and yeah. I am loving Prez. Loving it to bits. That's great. And so therefore, hey, you people. Go and uh, check out Prez if you haven't already. Issue two is out, and it, if nothing else, the incredibly obvious cat flu joke um, <laughs> made me laugh like an idiot. Really? Far oh, that is. So well, the, uh, the the father is dying, as you know, Jeff, mm-hmm. from the first two. and it turns out he's dying of cat flu. Mm-hmm. And you find out the of cat flu because she's you see a news report, and the headline is "Me Ouch." <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it's such a dumb joke. I love it. Yeah. Um, that's With that, we're leaving you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks and we will be talking about the comics. You know, we might actually read some comics and talk about comics and, and review them in there. Um, and in the meantime, I can't see it yet. God damn it. If, people, you're wondering uh, if you can hear more of me without Jeff... But with someone else um, y- I really hope that you're listening to Explain the X-Men
0: <laughs> Oh right, because you've got that, that
1: coming that's up how, yeah. That's how, it, no, Jeff What, no? no, what It's not officially going yet, oh. so no uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm very confused You basically uh, just told people Wait. Uh,
1: what did, uh, we're living at that
2: not <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's probably to be out that we we uh do this. But maybe not. Who knows? I might end up telling you to take this part out. Who who can tell? Wow Graham. listeners! Yes. What nuts? You guys are awesome. Much more awesome than Jeff and I. But we have to go. Bye. <laughs>